Uh, I'm going to start out by saying thank you to everyone who's been uh, coming out and helping us out on door to door. It's been a huge blessing. See how much ground we've been able to cover, and I know that you know <laughs> so many weeks. Melissa and I have had to stay back and uh, stuff more packets because we keep running out, and that's a good problem to have. And uh, so, just thank you to everyone that has been coming out. Like Pastor said, a couple more weeks to go, and then we'll be finishing up. So I know that it's uh, it kind of came as a shock and a surprise to a lot of people um, when the announcement was made that Melissa and I were leaving, and. Uh, when I, was, when I was writing up this message, I had completely different illustrations for it and, you know, practical things. And the more I looked at it, the more I was like, they're all good, but that it just, it's not, it don't feel right. It just doesn't feel right. So I scrapped everything and went back to the beginning and I started to retype it. The exact same thing, the exact same points with slightly different illustrations. And I told Melissa, I said, you know, the more I sit down and just let God use my fingers on the keyboard. This is turning into a message of why, why, why we're actually going. And the Lord's, I didn't know why God wanted, a, God wanted this message to be this way, but now I know. And uh, so, but it really, it started out, the decision for Melissa and I was right from the very beginning. Uh, when we first met, we were both, we both talked about it and said, you know, if you're on an online dating site, which is not an endorsement, but it works sometimes. Um, <laughs> when you're on an online dating site, I assume we assume that you're, you know, one, ready to actually meet somebody, and two, that you're willing to relocate. And when we were first met and were talking, it was, um, and we were both open to that. And we both said, if God wants us to, to move, you know, if we progress in our relationship, we get married, we were both open to moving either me going to Washington or she coming here. And um, as, just shortly after that conversation is when they first contacted me and said, hey, you want to run for city council? So as I started to get more involved in local politics, that was kind of what cemented us in the decision of, come, of her moving here after we got married. And things, you know, even after we got back, new responsibilities came up in, with the local committee and things like that. But then things started to get taken away the responsibilities that I had started to get taken away and I wasn't sure why. Uh, they kept telling me, well, we need to have young people. We need to have young people involved and you're the way to do it. We're going to get you involved so we can get other people. And then they started taking everything away from me. So I was like, well, how is this going to work? And about that same time is when we were still praying, you know, Lord, we'll do whatever you want. We'll go wherever you want. If you want us to move, we'll move. And the, we came uh, through a process, we came across Smyrna, Tennessee. We, we uh, found a good church. It was the first thing we looked for was a good church. And um, she came home from work and I said, hey, do you know anybody named Chisgar? Because her father being with Rock of Ages, they did a lot of stuff, that, you know, they're based out of Tennessee. They know a lot of churches and pastors down there. And she said, the name sounds familiar. It turns out that the pastor's daughter-in-law, she knew from North Valley out in California. So we started watching their services, checking them out, made sure they weren't throwing snakes or speaking in tongues or any of that good stuff. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we went down there last year and, and um, check it out. We went down for our anniversary, checked it out. We had talked to Pastor before we left. We talked with Pastor Chisgar while we were there. We sought, you know, some advice and, and counsel from different people, family members, and the Lord just kind of moved. And the rest of that story will come up in the message. So Genesis chapter 18. 
The title of my message tonight is, Is That You, God? Genesis chapter 18, starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, as is Abraham. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and bowed himself toward the ground, and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts, after that ye shall pass on. For therefore are ye come to your servant. And he said, So do as thou hast said. And we'll open in prayer. Lord, thank you for this uh, opportunity to be in your house again. And I thank you for the opportunity to preach once again. And Lord, I ask that you would just uh, clear my, my heart and my mind and uh, use me to uh, get across this message and uh, to help me to be a blessing to those that are here tonight. And just be with us the rest of this evening in your name. Amen. Genesis chapter 18 in this passage, you know, we know, we know Abraham. It's not an unfamiliar story. We know that Abraham was a wanderer, right? He was a, he was a stranger. He was a traveler. You know, by definition, you could say he was a nomad. And nomads are, I mean, still to this day are known for being very wary of other people. And they're not people people, right? They're, they're skeptical. They, they question a lot of things for their own personal safety, which is understandable. And we know that Abraham was a nomad. He was called by God out of the land into a new land, but he was a wanderer. But as I was reading this passage, I started to think, why was it that a 99-year-old man would be so quick to jump up and run to a stranger, to welcome him in with his traveling companions and fix him a feast? It just seemed odd that a, a, a traveler, a nomad, would do that. So I started to look back and forth and study a little bit. Now, in my Bible, I don't, I don't know how it is with your Bible, but in my Bible, if there's a large period of time that goes by in between chapters, there is a large gap between the chapters in the Bible on the page, in my Bible. But if the events seemingly happen back to back, there's no gap, and the chapters are right next to each other. They do that a lot in the Old Testament in this Bible, and quite a few times in the, in the Gospels. But in my Bible, there's no gap in between 17 and 18. So it makes me wonder if there maybe wasn't a lot of time in between those two chapters. So I had to go back and look at chapter 17. What happened in chapter 17? God came down and had a face-to-face -face meeting with Abram. He gave him instruction. He gave him a promise. He changed his name to Abraham. And then the journey continued for Abraham. But then I started to think about it, and I thought, maybe... And like I said, maybe there was some period of time, maybe there wasn't, I don't know. I can't say for sure either way. But maybe when chapter 18 starts out, maybe Abraham recognized that, that traveler. Maybe it wasn't a stranger, but a traveler. And he recognized when the Lord walked back into his life. He wasn't there for a short time, but then he came back. And he was so quick to point it out and say, I know him, and I know what he's done. And I'm going to make sure that he stays here and he eats with me. He just wanted to love on God for a while. So that got me thinking, well, what about us? Do we take the time to recognize the presence of God in our life when he, when he comes into our life? You know, there's so many times when it seems, like, it seems like maybe God isn't there. Sometimes it seems like the heavens are like brass, right? Not, sometimes we feel like we're praying and it's not going anywhere. 
But then when God does come back, and we know he never left us, he doesn't leave us or forsake us, but when he comes back into our life, are we quick to say, ah, that's God. I know that's God. And are we quick to use that as an opportunity to witness and use it as a testimony tool to share with others? You know, we know that God is always working in our lives. We know that he's many times behind the scenes where we don't even realize it. But so often he is right there in the forefront giving us his, his leading, his provision, his protection, where we can point to it and say, ah, that's God. I know that, that, that God did that, or God did that, or God kept me from that. We, we all can do that. And we risk becoming like the Romans in Romans chapter 1, where they saw God and they recognized him not as God, and then eventually they were given over to a reprobate mind. So I want to look at these three things, God's leading, God's provision, and God's protection, and try to help, help us recognize and point to God when he works in our life. So with that in mind, I'd like to start in Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. None of these are unfamiliar stories. We all know the stories from the Bible. This is the story of Gideon. Gideon, God called him to, to lead the Israelites out of uh, bondage from the Midianites. And he gave him a series of, of tasks that he wanted him, to, wanted him to do. In this chapter, God tells him, get an army. So Gideon gets himself an army together, about 32,000 men, takes him down, and God said, okay, it's too many. Send everybody home that's afraid. Well, that's a good strategy move right off the bat. I don't want anybody in my army that's afraid because I want everybody going that way, and if they're running that way, we have a problem. So, hey, good strategy move. Then God says, okay, now take what's left, go down to the river and get a drink. And the ones that get down on their hands and knees in the water, put them over here. And the ones that bring the water up to their mouth, put them over here. Well, another good strategy move, right? God said, I want somebody, I don't want them afraid, and I want them to be circumspect. I want them to be careful, watching, always. So then Gideon gets his 300 men, and God says, okay, now we're ready to go. But he gives them some instruction. And in Judges chapter 7, down in verse, starting in verse 9, it says, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go with Purah thy servant down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say. And afterward shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then went he down with Purah his servant unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the hosts. And it was so, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned to the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. Gideon struggled with, with he, had a, he had this thing where he always doubted is this actually what God wants me to do? He, you know, God would say, hey, I want you to do, okay, but, okay, I'm going to put the fleece down over here. You know, he always struggled with that. But we do the same thing. 
There's so many times when God will tell us to go somewhere or do something or hand a track to that person or witness to this family member, and we're, we always question, God, was that really what you wanted me to do? Now, to his credit, Gideon always got that right. He always figured it out. After God would reassure him many times, he always would get it right. Oh, that is what God wants me to do. God was leading Gideon every step of the way. And in this passage, Gideon recognized the Lord's leading. When he went and heard the interpretation of the dream, it says that, you know, he was encouraged by that. And when he finally realized this is where God is leading me to go, and this is what God wants me to do, he was able to then go back to his army and encourage them and say, hey, we got this. God's got this. Let's go. You know, the same thing is true with us. We can use conversations where we get godly counsel. We can use, uh, to some extent, circumstances. We can listen to preaching. We can do personal Bible study and even listening to good music. God can use all of those things to tell us what his will is, to lead us in the way that he wants us to go, and to reassure us of that, will, that leading that he has. And we need to be just like Gideon. Yes, sometimes we're a little slow, but we need to be able to discern what it is that God wants us to do. And just like the song says, like we sing, we can be happy in the service of the king. And when we are, we can go back and encourage and be a blessing to other people. When Melissa and I were in the, in the process of making this decision uh, of whether or not what God wanted us to do, where he wanted us to go, you know, we went through a similar situation. You know, we kept praying, God, if this is what you want us to do, if you want us to move to Tennessee, make it obvious so that we don't make a mistake. You know, this is, some, this is a big decision. It's not something that we wanted to do haphazard, and it's not something that we wanted to make a mistake in making the decision. And God answered that prayer over and over and over again. But it wasn't until I was, I, we got back and we, we were praying about it and I was teaching a lesson in junior church about faith. And I told the kids, faith is like using a flashlight on a dark pathway. You can't point the flashlight out, you know, out here looking at everything because then you're going to trip. You have to point the flashlight right here on the path and you take a step. And when you take a step, then it lights a little bit more of the path. And then you can take another step. And you can take another step. And you, that's faith. Faith is just taking one step at a time at what God shows you. And as I was teaching that, God spoke to my heart and said, Hey, why don't you try that? And I'm convinced now that if anybody has any decision to make, go and teach a, kid, a children's class. Because you, like Pastor and I have talked about it, we always have to dumb it down for the kids, right? And sometimes, as adults, we need to have it dumbed down. We overthink everything. But God said, hey, why don't you try that? So then our prayer quickly changed from, Lord, do you want us to go to, Lord, uh, when do you want us to go? Because this is quite obvious at this point. So we have to be quick to recognize where God is leading us. In a task, in a place, whatever it is, we have to recognize God's leading. Secondly, over in 1 Kings, 1 Kings 17 1 Kings 17, after we know what God wants us to do or where God wants us to go, we need to keep in mind that he will provide so that we can accomplish what it is that he wants us to do. We know this story of Elijah in, in, in the midst of a famine. God is miraculously taking care of him by providing water at the brook and food by the ravens. But it's a famine. The water dries up. The food goes away. 
And now the prophet is, start, is hungry again. And God says to him down in verse 8, The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there, gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. They were in the midst of a famine. The widow woman was experiencing a difficult time. She had no money. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that she didn't have a job that would provide money so that she could buy food. I'm guessing that her son was too young to have a job or to work and could not help provide money for food. But, and she only had enough food for one more meal for her and her son before the inevitable was going to happen. And just when all hope seemed lost, here came Elijah into her life. Now, we know that God and Elijah had already had a conversation about what he was, that he had commanded this woman already to feed him. I don't know if maybe God revealed a little bit more of the plan to Elijah. I don't know. Maybe Elijah knew. I don't know. But all he knew was, I got to do what God told me to do. And, and God told me that this woman is going to feed me, so God, she's going to follow what God wants her to do. But the attitude of the woman when he said, give me some food, I don't see that she was rebellious or that she was defiant. She, I think she had every in, intention of doing it. She was explaining to him, hey, listen, I, I don't have much. I'm, I'm getting ready to cook what I have left, and then we're going to die. But, you know, I don't see where she was being argumentative at all. But she had no idea what it was that God was going to do for her. You know, from this day on to the end of the famine, every time that this woman made a meal for her and her son, she was reminded that God will provide. You know, I, I, I can just picture it that every time they sat around their dinner table, their prayer was a little extra thankful because they had food. God provided in the midst of a famine. They were able to sit down every day and look and see that God had and was still working and providing for her. You know, there's times when we go through famine in our own life. It might be lack of food. It might be a lack of money. Or supplies. You know, there's a little bit extra month at the end of your money, you know, as the saying goes. But you know what the best part is? If you're a child of God, we, we're told in the book of Matthew that God knows what you need before you even ask it. God will provide for whatever it is that we need in order to accomplish his will. You know, I remind, I'm reminded of, the, of in Galatians, the so reap principle, right? We give to God and then he gives back to us. We have to be careful what we're giving 
if whether it's to the flesh or to the spirit, but God will provide what it is that we need. We just recently talked about the letter to the, to the church at Philippi where Paul said, hey, you guys gave to me over and over and over again out of what you had, and because you gave to the work of the Lord, my God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory. God will provide for us to do what it is that he wants us to do. You know, after we finally figured out what it was that God wanted us to do, our conversation quickly t- turned to, well, what are we going to do with the house? Are we going to get a realtor? Are we going to do it by, our, by, by ourselves? Are we going to put it on the market? Are we going to do by, you know, word of mouth? What do we do? We, we, we didn't really know what we were going to do when we were praying about it. Well, somebody contacted us and said, hey, we hear you're selling your house. Can we come over and look at it? Sure, absolutely. We scheduled a time, they came over and looked at it, and then they said, you know, we've been praying about it, but God's just not opening doors. We just don't feel like God is, call, is really leading us to buy your house. I said, great, that's fine. If, if it's not your time to buy the house, then it's not our time to go. That's easy enough. So then we thought, well, now what are we going to do? Well, then another couple contacted us. Hey, come look at your house. Sure. They came over and looked at the house. About a week later, ah, God's not opening the doors. I can't, we, we want it, but God's just not letting it happen. Great. Glad that you were able to, to uh, recognize that. Not time for you? It's not time for us. Well, then we're like, well, what are we going to do? <laughs> we're back to square one. Do we get a realtor? Do we not? Do we put it on the market? What do we do? We kept praying about it. God wasn't giving us a clear direction in any way. So we were just, we were just keeping on doing what we were doing, and we're just waiting for God. And at that time, the first couple contacted us and said, hey, we've been looking, we can't find anything, and it looks like God is directing us back to your house. I said, hey, that's great. I said, isn't it interesting how often we take a not now from God to mean no? Just have a little patience. So we have to be discerning in that way. So then we thought, well, let's, you know, we just happen to be friends with somebody that works at a lawyer's office. Let's just ask and see what we might be able to do. And, you know, and we go and talk to Joy, and she goes, oh, I, we handle these all the time. I can, I can walk you through the whole process. Perfect. This is great. So, you know, we had everything ready to go. Everything that we needed was right, on, right at hand. God provided the right people in the right places every step of the way so that we could accomplish his will for our life. We didn't have to worry about it. I mean, yeah, we, weren't, we were concerned. We weren't worried. We were concerned. But God provided the right people every step of the way. And, and when we look back at it, it's so easy to point and say, that was God. It was so easy for us to do that. So once we learn what it is that God wants us to do or where he wants us to go, we remember that he will always provide for us to do that. We're going to run into some obstacles. It always happens. But we need to remember that even in those obstacles that are seemingly insurmountable, God will protect us. Look over in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, we recognize God's leading, we recognize God's provision, and we have to recognize God's protection. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're... The commanded by the king, I'm going to build a giant statue of myself. When the music plays, everybody hit the deck. And the music plays, and there's three boys standing up. The king brings them up and says, guys, you know the rules. Music plays. you got to get down. And they very respectfully say, no. 
we're not going to do it. God's going to take care of us. And even if God doesn't take care of us, no. Because that's against what God wants us to do. So King Nebuchadnezzar gets angry and he commands the furnace to be heated up and he throws them in. And in some sick, twisted way, he decides he wants to sit and watch these three boys burn alive in the furnace. But... In verse 24, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonied and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men, upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, neither was their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew the political and the physical consequences that they were putting themselves into by refusing to bow to this idol, but they did it anyway. Again, strangers in a foreign land, in captivity, yet they still chose to serve God and to honor God. And you know, these boys had already seen God protect them and work on their behalf. Remember in Daniel chapter 1, when God kept them healthy, when they chose not to eat the king's meat. In Daniel chapter 2, when the king had a dream and nobody could interpret it, and the king said, then we're just going to kill everybody and start over. But then God gave the answer to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and protected them once again. And then, here they are, the king, the king knew. It was common knowledge that these boys would not be shaken when it came to matters of their faith. They had already seen God working in their life, and they were ready for him to work again. And even with that knowledge, the king wanted to test them and try them. This time, like I said, throwing them into a furnace so hot that it killed the men that threw them in. But the wicked, heathen, pagan king was able to recognize God protected them. He looked in that fire and he saw God and he recognized God and said, your God protected you even from me. In the midst of these difficult times, we need to look for God. He is always there to protect us. So many times we can point to God and see how maybe he put us behind schedule. And we couldn't understand why until we realized we just missed an accident. Or I think everybody here that's been out, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved, you probably have a really good story of going out door to door and how God protected you. And if you want a really good dog story, talk to Jesse Brosnan. He's got some of the best 
visitation stories. He really does. <laughs> and even, you know, these, these boys, just like these boys, we can look back at what God has done to protect us and know that he will do it again. You know, there's so many times when, before we go on a trip, some, when we're going on a, on a long distance, we always will stop and before we go and we'll say, Lord, please keep us safe as we travel. Help us to not get in any accidents. Keep the animals off the road. Lord, keep my mind clear as I drive. But how many times when, when we get to the destination do we stop and say, Lord, I made it safe. Thank you. We know that he's going to, but do you stop and recognize that? Do you take the time to recognize God's protection? You know, these boys for the rest of their life had a story they could tell of how their God protected them. They could have been, that could have been what they were known for. Who knows, maybe they were being invited to conferences throughout Babylon as the boys that wouldn't burn. Who knows? But they had a testimony that they were able to use that they could reach other people with. The king even said, their God protected them. And we're going to make sure that everybody, nobody in my kingdom says anything bad about their God because it was their God that protected them. We need to never forget what it is that God, what God has done for us and never stop telling other people about it. Now, like I said at the beginning, sometimes we get to a point where we can't find God. We can't see, it seems like he's not there. What do we do in that situation? You know, we come to a difficult time. We know he's there. We know he's working. But we're just having a hard time finding him. What do we do? Well, go with me to uh, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. We know the story. David is running from Saul. And he decides that the best place for him to go is the Philistines for some reason. And after lying to the king, he's able to convince them to give him a place to stay, him and his men and their families. And so they're living in the city of Ziklag. Well, the Philistines decide we're going to go make war with the Israelites. And here comes David with his men. Well, the king's counselors say, uh, King, probably not a good idea. We're fighting the Israelites. We probably shouldn't have the Israelites on this side, too. We don't want to have a Philistine sandwich here. So why don't you just send them home? And the king says, yeah, you guys are probably right. So he calls David and says, listen, you guys catch us on the next one. You go home. These guys are right. You're Israelites. We're fighting the Israelites. It's not a really good situation. They get back home to Ziklag to find the city completely ransacked. It is destroyed. Their families are gone. All of their things are taken. And the men immediately turn around and blame David to the point where he was all alone. But this is what he did. In 1 Samuel 30, look down in verse 6. It says, David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. You know, I would say this is a, um, this is a desperate situation. He's all alone. He has nobody there with him. He doesn't have anyone to turn to. And the only thing that he can do, the only place that he can go, is to his God. He asks for the ephod to be brought to him, and he encourages himself in the Lord. Can I tell you, when we're in the middle, when we're in the middle of a situation in life where it seems like we can't find God, that is not the time to get out of church. It's not the time to get away from God's people. 
And it's not the time to get out of God's word. You know, he grabbed the one thing that they had that they knew that God would communicate with them through and said, Lord, I need you. He had to get alone with God. You know, sometimes, sometimes you have to go away. Sometimes you have to get away. Best place that you can go, just a few hours away, go to the Adirondack Mountains. Turn your phone off and open your Bible. And be still and know that he is God. Find him. He's there. You know, uh, stay, like I said, stay in the word. Stay in, stay in church. Stay with the people of God. That's where we're going to find God. You're not going to find him out there. You know, during the pandemic, during the shutdown that we had last year, there was probably times when all of us could say we were having a hard time trying to find God in our life. We were having a hard time understanding why it is that this was happening. What is it that God is trying to show us? For me, the best thing that I did was turn the news off. And I opened up the Word instead. I got into, the, I got into God's Word and studied it. I listened to more sermons. I listened to more uh, good music. I, 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 I studied it as much as I could. And that is where the journey started for Melissa and I, to be able to see this is what God wants us to do. But it all started with a, a seemingly difficult time, a, a bad situation, where we know God is there, we know God is leading us, and God is providing for us, and God is protecting us, but we can't see it right away. We'll go find him. Are we recognizing God's presence in our life like Abraham did when he saw that traveler and said, Ooh, I know him. It's been a minute, but I know him. And I'm going to make sure that he doesn't leave until I talk with him again. God spoke to David, like I said, through that one thing that he knew he had, that God would communicate through him, to him through. We have God's word. Get in it. Study it. Recognize where God is leading you to go or what God is leading you to do. Find out what it is that he wants you to do. And remember that he will always provide for you the tools necessary to accomplish that leading. And no matter what obstacle you come across in that path, God will protect you. Are we recognizing God in our life? Lord, we thank you for this opportunity again to be in your house. Lord, I thank you that the way that you work in our lives. And Lord, it's just such a comfort to know that our God is always there. And that he's not going to leave us. You're not going to leave us. And that you want to hear from us. Lord, help us to find out where it is that you want us to go. And what it is that you want us to do. Help us to be in tune with your will in our life. Just be with us the rest of this evening, Lord. And as I said, I hope that I've been able to be a blessing to the folks here tonight. In your name, amen.